Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley, and in this episode, we're chatting with Tim Eisner, whose design credits include Grim Forest, Tidal Blades, March of the Ants, Wonderland's War, Aquacorn Cove, and more. Tim founded Weird City Games in 2012, where their goal is to create games that are fun, elegant, and worth playing. Tim, welcome to The Binge. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing fantastic. I'm very excited to be here with you, James, and uh, excited to talk about board games. I got to tell you, we are absolutely excited to have you here on this uh, on this podcast and uh, this live Facebook feed. The number of games <laughs> that you have cranked out in such a short time is uh, is just pure insanity. Um, wow, I agree. You I know, agree. <laughs> I, I was running the numbers right before uh, before we got on, and just on Kickstarter alone. So this does not include any of the sales post Kickstarter. It doesn't include retail sales. Doesn't include any of the games you've done outside of Kickstarter. On Kickstarter alone, your games have raised about two point three million dollars US. That is a huge, <laughs> huge number. Well, so, uh, congrats. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I don't know if I've ever had those numbers all crunched together before. So that's, yeah, that is pretty amazing. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. So where did all this begin? Like, uh, I know you said that your first game was like 10 years ago, um, but it's, it's got to go back way, way further than that. My, that might be your first published game, but when did you actually start creating games? Um, so the, one of the first games I made or not even made, but was with friends growing up, my brother and a couple other uh, good friends we had was a game. Uh, I was probably like seven or eight. Um, and it was a game called pennies. And basically you, each of us would set up sort of a circus attraction and the other people would come and spend money on the circus attractions. So it'd be like trying to throw like a ring on a bottle or like some darts or something like that. Yeah. And you try and set up a fun challenge for people and then they'd come and and play it. So that was sort of, I think the first one I remember like really sort of innovating. And then um, with uh, Risk, we made some house rules. So there was different types of units and different uh, sort of uh, wind conditions that we set up. The first real game that I, I started making and iterated on and made actually a playable prototype of a, an original game uh, was called Merchant Princes, I think. And this I made with my brother, Ben Eisner, in 2003. And it was a drafting game. So we'd been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering and yeah. really enjoyed the drafting part of it. And we we're like, oh, this would be awesome in a board game. And this is before Seven Wonders, before Sushi Go, any of that stuff. And so we, we made it and it had a board and you'd pass the card, hands of cards and sort of build up your cargo. And we made it, tested it, it worked okay. We had so like a wind mechanic for moving your ship and a bunch of other stuff. And then we just sort of, I think I moved to a different town and we sort of dropped it. And I kind of kicked myself and thinking, oh, if I had gotten into board games in 2003 with a drafting game, that would have been pretty sweet. But uh, but that was the first one we put on the shelf. And now we actually, uh, Ben and I are still working on a, a distant cousin of that, of a drafting game that we still haven't fully perfected, but someday hopefully we'll bring that uh, to fruition. Have you found that? Have you found that a lot of these kind of ideas you had when you were younger and you're a kid where you've, you know, maybe, I mean, a classic example is a lot of people play Monopoly or Risk and they have their house rules or they, they invent their own kind of little mechanic that's not part of the game. 
kind of decades later, if you look back at on, on any of that and said, gee, you know, I could maybe retool that in a way to, to create a new, a new concept altogether. I have thought about that for sure. Actually, the pennies game I was talking about, I was like, it'd be kind of cool if each you had the components and then people could set it up and there was sort of this wagering system and you got people to you're like, how can I set up an intriguing challenge for you? And you set up an in, that I want to actually compete and try and do that, you know, and give people sort of invite people to make their own game with some components, you know, that they get to like put some different things together and, and build it. So, so I think all those things sort of trickle down and are still in my conscious or subconscious. Is there a style that you try to focus on or is it kind of, do you take another approach where you say, I want to try to create something across all the different types of styles of games? Like, is there an area where you try to focus or? There, you know, there isn't really. I've in the recent, like the last year or two, I've been trying to focus on simpler games. Um, partly because I really like games that are, you know, can play in half an hour or 45 minutes. And partly because designing bigger games takes a long time. And as you said at the top of the show, I've made a bunch of games recently. So it's yeah. like, oh, I want to have some sort of more bite-sized projects that I can uh, can complete in a year or in two years and um, get out there. And then the other motivation for that is wanting to play with a wider audience, you know, playing, I love playing heavy strategy games and going to conventions, but I also have more casual gamer friends who I'd like to be able to just like, oh, let's play this quick card game. And it's, they can appreciate and enjoy it as well. Um, but I was talking to uh, somebody else pointed out recently that it was like, oh, you've done worker placement and simultaneous reveal and area control and, you know, and just all these different genres that I've sort of been exploring the published games that I've I've been able to finish the designs on have been all sorts of wide variety. So and that's that's enjoyable as a designer just because it's a new challenge each time. And it's a, like, oh, wait, how? Oh, how do dice work? Oh, OK, here's these things we have to think about. And here's these things, you know, so. And then find new combinations of different mechanics as well. Right. So taking this genre, I'm going to and see if we can match up with this one and see if there's something that kind of comes out of that as well, which, you know, I think the whole game industry seems to be evolving. Right. Like you just look at kind of every kind of five years and a new mechanic comes out and that starts kind of combining with others and you get a whole new uh, player experience. Right. So um, what would you say would be a mechanic that, that you have had in one of your games that was the, you'd kind of stick your claim to that you would say, this is really unique to us. We we're kind of the first ones to do this. Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, yeah, that's a really good, I, you know, I don't know if I've had, any and i'll think about this i may amend this later but i don't know if i've had any mechanics that are entirely unique that i've you know because i think it is like you say that it's you pull things from other mm -hmm. games and combine them and it's more about those combinations yeah. so for unique i think in the you know recent board gaming memory since i've been playing a lot is you know like deck building and then legacy games and a, a few marquee mechanics like that but for me i haven't I don't think I've hit on that. I have a couple ideas that I'm hoping to bring bring out in the future, but um, I don't I don't know if I've had any any anything that really stands out as like my unique unique mechanic yet. Well, is there a um, kind of a stamp that you try to put on in terms of uh, design or playability or something that you or you and your brother look at and say, you know, this is something we want to make sure is part of most games that we do. Um, I think, you know, one of, one thing we really focus on is because I think we've, we've tried that and I've, I've, I've really 
try and like follow something but with our designs they they end up going where they want to go and so sure. kind of the bottom line we come back with which is sort of may sound generic is just that we want them to be fun and enjoyable and as approachable as possible for you know and some games are heavier like have more components and so they're going to take a little more setup um but we want them to just be fun and enjoyable so in like title blades it's like well rolling those dice is always fun you're having a good time yeah. you get the excitement of the dice roll you're and matching it with the narrative i think i think one of the stamps actually um is blending the theme with mechanics and sort of mm. really trying to focus on that and that's something both uh ben and i come from a theater background we did a lot of improv theater and some scripted he was a playwright for a while and oh, wow. so bringing the narrative uh and matching that with the game mechanics i think is really uh intriguing to us and really satisfying and really is satisfying to players and so you know, with March of the Ants, you get to customize your different ants with their different heads and abdomens and thoraxes, and they each have different names, and you get to build and blend them together, and they feel anti, you know, you're doing different things. Um, and then Grim Forest obviously has a huge narrative structure and background to it. So, so I think that's something that I always try and try and bring in. And I haven't really designed any abstract games, not that I mm. won't, but it's, you know, I, I do like to try and really give some narrative vibrancy to the, to the games. So would you say that, um, each of these games you've made, has there ever been a time where you've kind of come up with the mechanic before the story or have they always kind of gone hand in hand? Um, I think it's often the mechanic first and mm. then the story, but it's kind of a step by step process where the mechanics will inspire some of the story and then more of the mechanics and then a little more story and some, you know, I forget who it was that I was, reading reading one of the books of by designers or designers sharing their wisdom and someone i wish i could credit them right now but um mentioned that like well if i'm stuck i on mechanics i'd go to the narrative and try and think of like what could fit into this game what what would work for an ant type of thing that would solve this problem that i have because uh, if i'm just okay. working with the mechanics it's so abstract and there's nothing to sort of reference it to that then being like well let's read about the ants and see what kind of things they do and how they resolve conflict and how they do you know um so i think that that that's what i generally do is back and forth and for example with grim forest i um was reading a design book by richard garfield and several other uh designers and they richard garfield was talking about a rock paper scissors mechanism and how that works and okay. i was like oh okay cool i like that idea and then i thought about it with cards like representing that with cards and then i was like oh there's three things okay and then i was just lying in bed and i was like three little pigs oh the three little <laughs> pigs and then that was the genesis of the grim forest was sort of from that and then like once i had the three little pigs i was like oh cool how well how do i get a mechanic that's building houses what do i do to do that and so it sort of went back and forth between those you know theme and mechanics so how would you describe your process right now? So Weird City Games, you're doing this now full-time, right? This is this is your job, right? Yep. So which is, I think, for most people living the dream, <laughs> literally. Me too. Um, so what what would you say, how would you describe your process? Because you got a lot on the go. I mean, you got a lot on the go, right? So how do you organize this in a way that you keep some kind of structure to, uh, to your approach? Um, so 
I do my best basically is um, part of having so many projects is just figuring out how to prioritize and what needs attention immediately. Um, and so usually with the projects that are really live where it's like, okay, we're coming up to Kickstarter in a month or two. Um, I have to, you know, give them a, a priority of attention until we get, you know, there's some specific milestones once you get to that point yeah. um, where it's like, okay, cool. We got to get ready for a review copy. So let's tighten all the rules as much as we can get everything finalized, make sure we get that, those things out there. And then it's like, okay, Kickstarter, another sort of milestone. So once I get a game to a nicely developed place, it's a little easier because I have to give them that focus, you know, and mm -hmm. it has to have that attention. And then the trick is fitting in time for new games and new ideas that I'm trying to get to that point. Um, yeah. So I don't actually have a great system in place. You know, it's it's kind of in the moment of what is demanding the most of my attention and what is, um, you know, what needs to be done immediately, which I'm getting better. One thing is, as you said, I, I've made a lot of games and I was, you know, it's sort of my game design sort of started off with like, oh, March of the Ants, cool. And then it was like, oh, more games, more games, more games. And I came up and I was like, well, how many games can I do? And then I was like, okay, that's as many as I can do. Like I can't <laughs> do more than three games at, at a time. So then I was like trying to mellow it back down to like have two, I think two active projects that are like have those deadlines and milestones. And then yeah occasionally I'll sneak in like a day of design work just on a creative idea. And then one project that's sort of in sort of development of building up. Yeah. Cause I was thinking about this and I mean, you're going to have uh, games where you're in ideation, ideation stage stage when you're just trying to like actually work through the mechanics of the game and literally create the game. Then at the same time, because you have so many projects on the go, you're going to have other games that are in play test mode where you've already got to that point, but now you're play testing these. Right. And then you're going to have another group of games where you're probably what I call pre-published. So you're either going through that, that process of deciding, okay, are we going to do a self Kickstarter? We're going to go with a publisher who are we going to meet with on the publisher side. So there's a lot of time invested in that as well. And then the fourth bucket is actually launching the game, you know, whether it's going to be on Kickstarter or some other, uh, some other platform. So kind of doing all those things at the same time, it sounds like you're kind of allocating a chunk of your time to each, like you're at least kind of compartmentalizing it. Is that fair to say? Or I think so. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. And I, the more I can compartmentalize, the better, like to do really good, like design work, I need at least half a day and better mm -hmm. if I have just a whole day. Cause if I'm trying to like do it in an hour before breakfast or after, you know, it's like, and then switch gears to administrative or get getting a Kickstarter ready. It's hard to really access that design space for like new designs. Once I have a design that's really in the development and polishing phase, I can, you know, if there's a couple specific problems, like one set of like cards for the characters or something like that, I can review those and go through and sort of troubleshoot and update like one part of the design, mm -hmm. but the more I can compartmentalize it, the better, the better. And so I really try, like when I I'm big on lists, like that's mostly how I work is just making a lot of lists. And so at the start yeah. of each week, I'll try and be like, okay, what do I need to do? Okay. Canopy. I need to, right now I need to make sure that I have, um, the getting the manufacturing rolling and keeping that process, getting them the yeah. files they need and communicating with 
artist Vincent to get, you know, updated on the final things that need updating and writing the rule book, which is my own thing. And then map out a couple other projects like that I'm finishing up, like, so and try and divide those in. And if I can divide them into a day where I have just a day to work on canopy stuff and then a day to finish up Wonderland's war stuff and a day for, you know, then it's a little easier the more I can yeah. compartmentalize. But it is kind of ideally, I think I would love to have like be able to do a week per thing, like be like, oh, cool, I'm just going to work on canopy for this week. But because you're waiting to hear back from people and you're waiting to set up yeah. tests and you're waiting for these things, it doesn't always work out like that. I mean, on the on the flip side, it, it, the benefit of that is when you do have these downtimes and these these periods where you're waiting, you do have something else you can flip over to too, which kind of works out well, right? Definitely, and yeah. it, they're just the variety. I mean, one of there's many reasons why I'm really super fortunate and so happy to be doing this full time. But one of the things is just there's so much variety in what I do. It's if yeah. I was just in the design phase all the time, I'd get burnt out. Like that that's my favorite part is the new you know the first like week or two of a project a new project is really exciting but it's nice to be like oh cool i'm gonna make a new prototype so i'm just gonna print and cut cards and sleeve and then i get a switch to another thing of like play testing and do that for a little bit and just have those like nice bite-sized chunks of different variety so you still at that at that level where you are like printing and clipping and sleeving cards like is it do you go that rudimentary still in some of your your prototyping and uh, new game ideas I definitely do. I definitely do. Um, not as much anymore because yeah. most of the playtesting has been sort of moved to the digital realm, which yeah. is, is handy, except for seeing player interaction and really those, those connections. But for me, there's something I can't function as well digitally as I can uh, with um, not with physical products and prototypes yeah. so having printed out cards and being able to go through and just lay them all out and make notes like i'm a big pen and paper guy yeah. so and uh my brother's big technology technological guy so he we've got a pretty good setup with indesign and being able to just do a spreadsheet of cards and really quickly export those okay. and then just cut them up and and I like, you know, it's nice doing some physical activity too, like assembling a prototype is pretty, pretty nice break from like, or lets your brain sort of like run for a little bit and do something while you're like, okay, this is important. I'm not trying to crunch these like problems and balance everything out, but I am yeah. like building it up. It always reminds me, it takes me back to like kindergarten, right? You need the scissors <laughs> out and you just start clipping your cards and you're cutting just like you were back in like- Totally, totally. Takes you back to when you're six, right? Yep. Who on your yep. team is, uh, is there someone that's kind of assigned to be the brutally honest person? So when you come with a new idea <sighs> that'll say, this sucks, or we'll say, well, you know, I'm not sure I'm loving this. Like, do you have, have you built that into your system at all or? Um. I haven't built it in, but my brother is definitely the burster of bubbles. He's definitely like sort of the realist and is like, we'll come in and be like, well, I know he's always like, there's no sacred cows. We just got to, you know, if this isn't working, we got to cut it, you know, or I'm, I get attached. I'm ready to like, if it, it's not working, cut it. But I often, he's, he's more incisive. He's really good at development and really good at being like, well, what if we cut this and replace it with this or if we shift it? So, so he's, he's taken on that role and I do it to some extent. He's just more brutally honest about it and does it a little more effectively than I do. They always say family, uh, your family will always love your games, no matter how bad they are. But I always say brothers will always tell you when something sucks. <laughs> they do totally, not hold back. Totally. I've got brothers and uh, 
Yeah, they do not. Uh, they they are more than eager to give you their feedback when uh, when it's coming. So <laughs> totally. Well, and that's a big trick of designing is like figuring out when to get feedback from specific groups. You know, because you don't know. Sometimes if you have family that's always like, "That's a great game. That's a great game." You know, and then you're like, "Well, I really need the critical, brutally yeah. honest feedback now, but maybe not later." <laughs> you know. So. so how do you find the publisher? So if I take um, Little Pig as an example, which then turned into Grim 4. So you you tried to launch that on Kickstarter, right? Yep. And then it, you didn't hit your target. I mean, it hit, it, you got a lot of funding. You just didn't hit your target. Yep. What led to then, what bridged that over to then uh, going with uh, Druid City Games? So yeah, after that, that Kickstarter for Little Pig, I was a little demoralized it's not fun having a kickstarter not fun and i had sort of gone into it there's a lot of factors which i won't go into all of them but i've sort of been like oh march of the ants did great i have people who want my games this one will be and but it wasn't the same style and wasn't the same variety and and at that time i was working uh full-time as a at a preschool teacher and Mm -hmm. so i was I was like, well, I want to keep making games, but I don't necessarily want to try and kickstart this one again. So I also want to explore this publishing and publishing with, uh, you know, somebody else route to see if that lets me design more, if that's more fun and just how it works. Um, And so I shopped it around a bit, uh, went to conventions. um, And I think the first time I had it real ready was I went to Gen Con in, I believe, 2016. And... I went to the publisher speed dating and showed it to a bunch of people, got a little bit of interest, but nobody was like, Ooh, I want to take it home right now. Yeah. And then I was just walking the convention floor, which is massive and ran into James Hudson, who I met through Facebook, uh, during the, the campaign for March of the Ants expansion. Yeah. Cool dude. Yep. Yeah. Cool dude. Great, great guy. And we sort of, you know, connected, we did an interview then on the sort of debrief from March of the Ants. And he's like, hey, what are you doing here? And I'm like, oh, I'm just pitching games. He's like, oh, really? You got anything? I'm, I'm looking to publish something. I was like, oh, you are? Okay, yeah. And so we went back to uh, his hotel room with his team and just sort of showed him the game. And they're like, oh, this is perfect. This really fits our, our brand and really like work, would work great for us. And so um, so it's partly you know going to those conventions, which is essential, also not really possible right now. Um, yeah. And, and also the online, you know, connection is really important. And I think something we still have and can, you know, is creating those connections, being present in Facebook groups and different, you know, different areas online does, does really help. And so, and that's actually been my partnership, you know, with James and Druid City Games and Skybound has been the most, you know, bountiful publishing partnership yeah. that I've had and has oh, been yeah. really uh, positive and we've just hit a good um, stride of, you know, a lot of mutual respect and good like collaboration in there. So, um, so how would you uh, describe kind of the process of taking a game to a publisher? Um, so if I look at like uh, little pig, right. And then yep. look at where it landed, where it ended up becoming grim forest, right? Like, yep. Little Pig look great. Grim Forest is stunning, right? So how, how do you, how does that process work in that communication with the publisher? Cause the publisher is going to want to bring in part of their own team and you're going to release some control and so forth. So other developers out there, when they're getting into maybe looking at having a publisher uh, take their game, what are some thoughts you can give them on how that process looks? Um, yeah, I think a lot of it for me is, you know, feeling a good connection with the publisher, you know, at least having a good rapport when you, when you first meet with them and then being open to some changes and being okay with uh, them taking the game and, 
editing it, developing it and and growing it because and I think that's really one of the things that stood out as working with publishers is it's games will go not necessarily farther, but in grow in a different way with yeah. another publisher um, than if I'm just keeping it in within Weird City Games. Um, so I think being being open to that and uh, you know, a lot of people will be like, well, don't buy art, don't make it too nice, don't be attached to anything. I think you can, like publishers are going to be excited if you're really excited about yeah. of, of what you've made, you know, so you don't want to just be like, this is just a vanilla thing that could be anything and yeah. pass it to them. Um, and then with, you know, with uh, James and Druid City Games, it was sort of, you know, it took a while to sort of feel out like, okay, well, okay, you, you did some development, I want to kind of take it back and do some other development. And that was one of the parts that really, you know, made the experience really positive as James and his team took it and did a bunch of development. But then James was like, well, I want to pass it back to you, like, make sure you're okay with everything. If you want to oh, change anything or adjust it, that's great too. And so, and that's what's made it, you know, I still feel like with him, I've had a good amount of autonomy and ability. There's been good communication of like, all right, cool. Will you take take it back and like make sure everything is working to your standards and then we'll look at it again and make sure it's working for everybody. It's been very collaborative, which I guess is really great. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And that's been, that's been cool. And even more so in the future, the the projects that followed because we've been, you know, had more like meetups in between where we'll yeah. meet at conventions or get together outside and, uh, and run through the games and help sort of develop and push them along. Now this past year you did uh, Canopy, right? So yep. this just a summary launched your own Kickstarter. So you, you know, this is a self-published title. Um, what's something you would, uh, so a piece of advice you would give to people who are looking at, you know, either going the publisher route or trying to do it themselves through Kickstarter? You know, what are some of the benefits you would say is to take the the Kickstarter, and and what are some of the things that, you know, you're gonna it'd be better just to go with the publisher? What, what are some of your thoughts in that regard? Um, with Kickstarter, I think it's a really fun experience. You get to really directly connect to the customers and get to have a lot of control of the process, you know, yeah. and really get to, to have ownership of the whole thing and really build it exactly how you want to do it. Um, so I think that's the main benefit. And I've really enjoyed connecting with backers and getting their ideas and their excitement and just sort of having feeling that level of sort of success and connection. Um, with publishers, I think the initial help or additional help and sort of collaboration to grow the game more and, you know, external development resources. And just, you know, like with Grim Forest, it's like, oh, cool. James added his vision and made it even grander and bigger yeah. than, you know, it was going to be. And um, and so I think I think both those things are sort of and then with publishers, you have to make a little bit of the, you know, there's some compromises and letting some things go or some adjustments and changes that aren't 100 percent, you know, your idea or what you would add. And then with Kickstarter, the uh, obvious drawback is having to do all the business the side of it, and the administrative side. and all that, which is all takes a lot of work and learning, you know, yeah. it's a big learning curve. I'd almost say that I, I guess if for someone like yourself or there's another developer out there that has, you know, uh, a, a plethora of games that they're working on. Um, if they can find a, a distributor or a publisher that's going to work with them on that game uh, as part of a collaboration, there's always going to be learning that's going to come along with that as well, right? So you can always say, you know, for my first game, I'm going to go with a publisher. I'm going to try to sop up as much information as I can and, and knowledge during that process, which is then going to help you be better informed and maybe you go and self-publish in your next game. 
Definitely. I think both of them are, there's a lot of overlap between those yeah. and be, publishing my own game gives me a lot more sympathy or understanding of the publishing <laughs> side of like, oh, oh that's yeah. why that's taking longer. Oh, that's why we need to change these things, you know, and like more understanding of just cost of components, what the yeah. graphics, you know, processing is and all that. And then, and I think different games have you know, for me are different. I'm like, oh, this would be really good for a publisher. I don't think it's the best uh, title for Kickstarter. I don't think it really fits the brand of Weird City Games or, you know, something. it's like, it's a simple little party game or it's something else that I think will work, you know, better with somebody else. Or even like, it's a big, huge game that I don't really feel like I can tackle and do all the development and production on. So, so I think there's, it's okay to do both and to do, you know, it, it's worked for me. And I think once, if you do learn to do Kickstarter, it's like once you've built up that knowledge, it's kind of like, well, I should do that again because it's a it's a lot to learn <laughs> at first. Yeah, but again, once you've done it once, uh, it's not that each time gets easier, but certainly you know what to expect, right? Which is, it it doesn't get easier. I actually, with Canopy <laughs> this summer, I was like, oh yeah, this is my fourth, fifth one. You know, I should be fine. Yeah. I was like. Uh, I mean, partly it was a very successful campaign. So I was like updating every day, but it was just yeah. like nonstop. Even I made it short. It was like 17 days. And I was still like, by the end, I was like, okay, I am <laughs> cooked. So where do you go from here? What's the, uh, what's next? Can you share with us what the, the next thing is you're working on the next project kind of coming out the, the gate? Uh, yeah, I can. There's uh, two things that are on the horizon here. Um, is one that I'm very excited about is uh, Tidal Blades 2. Um, oh, so we've okay. been uh, working on that for a, a bit and sort of kicking ideas around and sort of gearing up to really start iterating on that super heavily. Um, and uh, the other one is a game called Path of the Red Planet, which I've been working on with the Weird City Games crew, uh, my brother Ben and Ryan Swisher, who I did March of the Ants with and our good friend Steven. And we've uh, it's a sort of interplanetary area control game where you have alliances, each of your neighbors, you share um, sort of a patron, which is a major figure in this galactic struggle. And so you have this alliance built in with each of your neighbors, and then you're still just trying to negotiate around the whole table as well. So that's going to be hopefully our next Kickstarter sometime next year. They've gone from earth-based games to space-based games. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's yeah. You know, we're, we're figuring it out. It's, it's growing in, in different ways and we'll see what works. Oh, it's awesome. I can't wait to see it. Well, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It always goes so fast and uh, I appreciate your time and all the best on your next game. I can't, uh, can't wait to see it. Awesome. Thank you so much, James. It was all my right, pleasure. You take care. Take Cheers. care. Ciao. This has been an episode of the board game binge podcast hosted by James Staley produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.